It's game day. It's uh, May 18th. It's Wednesday. The Battle of Alberta <laughs> commencing tonight. And uh, whether you are a, uh, a huge hockey fan, a moderate hockey fan, a tepid hockey fan. Who's tepid in Canada? Come on. There, there's the odd tepid hockey fan. And I think that even those fans are probably pretty excited about today and if you're not well hey there's other things to talk about sure but everybody's talking about the battle of alberta today in our neck of the woods and that includes us out of the gates today on real talk andrew walker host of the hedge podcast in just a second first we want to remind you this show happens every day because of sponsors like bitcoin well right now I'm, I'm talking to my pal graham yesterday you've heard graham duty on the show before remember my personal trainer so He's putting me through the paces yesterday and we're talking about Bitcoin and I'm going, what's your insight on this? And he goes, well, what's your insight on this? And a lot of people are trying to figure out exactly what's up with this plunge in values. And I mentioned to him, you know, I, I talked to Benny at Bitcoin well because he may not have all of the solutions. He may not have all of the answers, but he's got some great perspectives for people trying to make sense of this, this new era of finance. You can find Bitcoin well under the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So tonight at 7.30 Mountain Time, 9.30 Eastern, the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames will square off for game one of the first Battle of Alberta in 31 years of course, talking about it on his show today at thehedgepod.com is Andrew Walker, host of The Hedge, one of our Relay Properties. Walks joining me live in studio today. This is our first live studio hit, so welcome to the yeah. studio during Real Talk Hours, by the way. Yeah, yeah. great to be here. <laughs> you, uh, you and I grew up with different perspectives in the sense that I grew up in Calgary. You didn't grow up in Edmonton, but, but you, you grew up in jurisdictions where there was a lot of fandom for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, and, and I know that through your media years covering hockey, you've insisted that you're no longer a fan of certain teams, just certain players. But how are you feeling today? It's uh, you know what? I honestly I don't know exactly how to feel because for people, the last battle of Alberta was 1991 and I vaguely remember it. But I'm a I'm a seven, eight year old hockey fan at that point. This is for anybody under 40. We're literally talking about a once in a lifetime matchup so far. Yeah, so far, which yeah. is I mean, incredible. They've been in the same division. They've been in the same conference. Uh, so we have a whole generation of, of people that have never seen this. So I don't really know how to feel. I do know that like 16-year-old me, who was uh, grew up an Oilers fan in Saskatchewan, 16-year-old me would have been petrified at the idea of losing to the Flames. Yeah. Like, I think that's part of the rivalry oh. is... You know, you don't even care if you lose if you're a diehard fan as long as as long as Calgary loses or vice versa. And and someone's going to win this thing. The beauty of this, uh, of course, is that whoever you, you that whoever's going to move on to the Western Conference final has to go through that other team, which to me, there's more meaning to that. I like that if the Oilers advance, they'll have gone through the Flames. If the Flames advance, they'll have gone through the Oilers. There's value to that. Yep. And there will be a Canadian team playing for another month in the Stanley Cup playoffs regardless. Um, and I think for in, in the content era, that makes me happy. Um, but I know that, you know, there's a lot of the Leafs lose and then some people walk away from the playoffs entirely because that's their team. Time to begin golf season. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it might be the same 
uh, here in Alberta. Although uh, my take is that the, the rivalry has softened a little bit because it's been so long. But that might ramp up at 7.30 tonight again. Yeah, I think it's going to ramp up. I, I will say before we go any further, I don't know about you, I was a little surprised to see our technical producer, John Hicks, repping Flames colors this morning <laughs> oh, when I came man. into the I show. I knew you guys were going to do this. It was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> you gotta, you, you do got to be careful. Like Even NHL head coaches, like if they're lucky tie, let, let, <laughs> yeah. you know, let, let's say uh, uh, Jay Woodcroft's lucky tie is red. He can't get away with that tonight. He's got to wear it under his shirt. <laughs> John, did you, did, is this intentional? Are you trying no, to poke the bear? Or are you trying we to... had a lot to prep this morning. I threw on a plaid because it was a nice day. For first day in a while, we don't have to wear a coat. And, and uh, you looked at me when you got here. You're like, what is happening? You know what, though? You know what, though? I would, I would just say, I would say you are... Uh, Canadian team guy, yeah, because that looks like I, a Canadian outfit to me. You're, yeah. you're just missing the okay, the, yeah. de- the yeah. denim jacket over top. There you yeah. go. Yeah, it yeah. is kind of a Canadian uniform that yeah. you're wearing there with your red and black plaid. All right, well, fair we were enough. talking today. Were we going to wear jerseys? What are we going to do? And then you're like, let's just let's just stay on the sidelines here because <laughs> we have people listening from all over, right? But I think this battle. Everyone's going to be watching this. Well, and I'm not, I'm not, it's not that I'm afraid to wear a jersey, or it's not that I'm afraid, but I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, the show called, is called Real Talk, so my, my real talk on this is that I'm a born and raised Calgarian oh! who, who grew up. I mean, I'm not, there's, I'm, I'm not going to hide. That's not a secret. People know. I'm a born and raised Calgarian who grew up hating the Edmonton Oilers, like hating them, mm-hmm. yeah, because they denied us Stanley Cups. I mean, the two best teams in the National Hockey League for 10 years were the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers, or, or probably the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames in order, uh, in that Smythe division, which was incredibly competitive. And I've always felt terrible for Winnipeg Jets fans. Yo, and then in my gonna, adult I life... Gonna, I was going to say, Calgary was the second best team in the whole NHL yeah, and and only got the one cup because Edmonton. Winnipeg might have been the third best yeah. team in the NHL and... Nothing. Nothing. Not a sniff. Zero. So then I moved to Edmonton my adult years. I work for the Oilers for seven years. We're raising my son an Oilers fan. So so I I do. I I am torn. I do have mixed feelings, to be honest with you. And I understand that there's a very small portion of the population that would say, I've got my one and one A. But I think it would be different. I try to compare it to to pro athletes in the yeah. sense that Connor McDavid grew up a, a Maple Leafs fan. But but who do you think if the Leafs and the Oilers are playing, who would he most want to win? He'd want the Oilers to win. Yeah, yeah it's it's something, especially working in sports media too. Um, you um, and and hey, even doing what you do to take it one one step further, you your 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 political uh, elite. You got to get both sides. You got to listen. You got to yeah. And and working in sports media, yeah, the fandom does get beaten out of you. I mean, I worked in sports media for years because, you know, my brothers and I grew up in Saskatchewan. We watched everything. We played everything. We collected hockey cards. Obsessive and, and, and obsessive fans. And then you start working in the industry. And, yeah, you, you see behind the scenes and you see that, you know, even athletes, I don't believe they're role models. I think they're humans. You know, things like that. And and you begin to say, wow, like people get so fired up over their team of course yes i like this from ryan on our live chat he says the answer is mcdavid the <laughs> on the wagon ryan or off uh meantime Corey is is playing it safe today Corey. that's how i assess your position and i don't blame you Corey says i'm staying neutral on this and i'm rooting for the colorado avalanche which had a big wow. overtime win last night against oh. the st louis blues i think the cup goes whoever goes to the goes through colorado this year so that's an interesting one why don't we talk about the series itself yeah. uh this is uh obviously 
some of the league's best players, the Calgary Flames with a top line where all three players scored 40 goals, which is not quite unprecedented. As a matter of fact, a Flames team did that in past, but very few teams have ever seen three 40 goal scores. And then, of course, the Edmonton Oilers with probably the two best players in the world with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, at least two of the top five. And so you have elite high-level teams squaring off. Some questions about the health of Leon Dreisaitl's ankle, a high ankle sprain reported to be the problem there. So how do you see, what are some of the factors you're looking at at this series as it breaks down? Well, you know, if you look at at you know, the betting odds of this series, Calgary is, is quite a heavy favorite. And I think a lot of people out there, myself included, probably picking Calgary to win the series because they think they're the better team. They had a better, better regular season. I think they have a little more depth. Um you know, under Daryl Sutter, they they are a little. It feels like they're a little bit more responsible, five on five, and you can't rely on you know getting penalty calls in, in the playoffs. That said, um, Calgary does not have a Connor McDavid, and we saw in that series against LA, he basically said at one point when it looked like they were going to be in some trouble, said, "Get on my back." He's ridiculous. Yeah, get on my back. Let's go, and that can be the difference. <laughs> he's just, an alien. Just like one, he's, on a, he's from another planet. Just like one goalie can swing a series, as Jake Ottinger nearly did for Dallas yeah. against Calgary. One player can do the same thing. So Calgary might have a little more depth. They don't have Connor McDavid. Mike Smith has been terrific for the Oilers in goal, but he's probably not Jacob Markstrom, who's up for the Vezina. Mm. Yeah, Calgary has home ice. You know, boy, these barns. At the Saddle Dome and, and here at Rogers Place in Edmonton, talk about ridiculous. It's going to be next level. I'm excited for business owners, for bar owners, mm. for restaurant mm-hmm. owners that have just been waiting for something like this to kickstart some action. Tracy says, I'm happy for both teams and the businesses that will benefit from the celebrations during the playoffs. Uh, Tracy plans to attend the Asia Pacific Career Development Conference tonight. I bet you they'll have screens going there, too. You say you think that the rivalries softened, and I think that that's maybe just because if you, if you take a look through the 80s, the teams clashed. All, I mean, interestingly of note, when the Flames won their Lone Cup in 89, they did not go through the Oilers, which was interesting. Of course, the Gretzky less Oilers. That was the first year they didn't have Wayne, right? But for the most part, the teams met all the time. And so that obviously contributed to something. You know, you'd lose. I mean, I think of, of, of 1991, the last battle of Alberta, Theo Fleury with his famous goal, game six overtime to extend the series. Essatique and then blows one past Mike Vernon, which I'm still not over in game seven OT. It looked Vernon just on his heels on that one. It was a weird one. 31 years later, I'm still obsessed with what <laughs> and happened that was, and, the, and when that goal went in, like, what if I would have told you that, like, all the, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have a wife and a kid and one on the way and you're going to be in this. And like, it's like, it has not happened since. You know, it's like, this is the first battle of Alberta since you as a kid watched that game seven goal. If you would have sat down to me, I was in grade nine that year when that <laughs> happened. And, and, and I probably had tears in you my You would have eyes. assumed that one of these teams folded. Yeah, well, you would like, say, you would have said to me next time that you're talking about in Alberta, next time you're talking about a battle of Alberta, you will have trimmed your beard just an hour before to get all the gray out of it. Uh, I would have had a hard time wrapping my mind around it, but I bet you that this uh, rivalry can ramp up again in a hurry. When I say it's softened, uh, it's soft. Well, because number one, we haven't seen it for for 31 years, like you said, um, as Theo Fleury talked about this week. It's like people would be in prison for what they did on the ice then if they did that now. And it's kind of true. Like that part has has softened. Um, and then the other part was I thought this is really interesting on Game 7 weekend. There was a lot of, like I said, I grew up an Oilers fan and I would have rather, maybe I was extreme, I would have rather both teams lost. 
then lose to the Flames. Right? Like, that's how, you know, it, like, <laughs> if, I, if I can't have it, nobody can kind of thing. So, but in, on Game 7 weekend, I, I thought there was a lot of Oilers fans that I noticed, that I knew, that I follow on social media, who wanted Calgary to win Game 7 against Dallas. And there was a lot of Flames fans um, that I know and I follow that wanted Edmonton to beat L.A. in Game 7 so there could be this Battle of Alberta. Totally. But the easier road for Calgary is probably L.A. The easier road for Edmonton is probably Dallas. And when I say it's softened, I mean you. people wanted this. They wanted this matchup. Uh, and I think that's a, a bit unusual because in years past, you're like, yeah, we want to advance and anybody but Calgary or anybody but Edmonton, we hope they lose in the first round. But, you, you know, you look at every Twitter poll or every um, – you know, it, people wanted this, and and that's part of the pandemic, and it's part of you know wanting to see fans back in stands and fans in the ice district or or down at the what, the red zone in Calgary, whatever they're calling it. I've seen people, yeah, the red lot, the red and lot. They're calling right, yeah. it, yeah. They're, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. remember the red mile back in the day? Wow. Uh, speaking of things was, you can't get away. Speaking with of things you can't get away with yeah. anymore, and and yeah, I mean, culture has changed since two thousand four, two thousand six. Those back to back Stanley Cup runs as well. Um, when we're back with Walker in just a second. I want to talk to you about the cool bet angle on this because uh, s- some interesting things to sift through for people that are going to sprinkle a few bucks onto the game to make it that much more interesting to watch. Right now, I want to mention four of our sponsors that provide services across the province in Edmonton, <laughs> like in it. Calgary, and in all surrounding areas. And that includes our friends at Kubi Energy. You can find them online and get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. You know, they've got head offices in Alberta, right here in Edmonton, the capital city, plus in Kamloops, BC. It means that they're able to deploy their installation teams, their Tesla certified installers, anywhere across western canada this might be a barn that they're working on it might be a new subdivision where they're installing solar on all the homes or it might be a big industrial park they do all kinds of stuff you can check out the portfolio and check out their blog with more information on some of the financial incentives here in solar at kubienergy.ca now once you've signed up at kubi energy you're going to want to head over to parkpower.ca why because in these summer months The sun's up at 5.30 in the morning. It sets at 11 o'clock at night. Your system, your solar power system, is generating more than you need. Park Power buys it back, and they'll pay you more than the big guys will. It's part of their solar rebate buyback program. You will only find that at Park Power. And make sure when you sign up to bring your business over there, you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK. It gets you $70 off your first bill from Park Power. At Infinity Healthcare, they understand that healthcare is a family business. It means that if you have a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a sibling, perhaps a child that requires extra home care, there's nothing more important to you than the reliability and the consistency of that care. That's what Infinity is all about, earning your trust by finding a perfect fit. Maybe there's a cultural consideration to be made. Maybe there's a language barrier that's caused your family stress in the past. Your home care, it comes to fruition with the personality matching service that Infinity Healthcare is well known for. You can find them under the sponsors tab on our website. And at Athabasca University, it doesn't matter if you're in Calgary, Edmonton, or Timbuktu. They are an online university that makes it more easier than ever before 
to complete your studies, whether it's a micro course or a full degree program, because the flexibility allows you to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. It's world-class accredited online programs and some of Canada's most impressive research happening at Athabasca University. You can learn more about where you can sign up, how you can get started, and some of the courses they offer by visiting AthabascaU.ca. Andrew Walker joining us, host of The Hedge, uh, a brand new sports podcast under our relay umbrella at thehedgepod.com. You've got a great show coming up in store today. People can subscribe to your podcast. They can, of course, catch it on YouTube as well. And you're going with a couple of uh, all-time franchise faces when it comes to this Battle of Alberta. Yeah, so today we're going to be joined by – and these guys – to say they, they were in the Battle of Alberta um, is maybe a bit of an understatement. They they were the Battle of Alberta in a lot of respects. Jamie McCown spent eight years in the trenches with the Calgary Flames. Stanley Cup winner and then, of course, Hockey Hall of Famer Kevin Lowe was on the other side playing the same role as defensive defenseman and has six Stanley Cup rings to his credit. So both those guys together are going to be on the hedge today. You know, and it was interesting. I was trying to set this up and 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 you know talk to different people and then I kind of booked them separately and I had to have this kind of moment of of asking myself, "Oh, I I hope these guys don't hate each other's guts or maybe I do." And I was <laughs> I was wondering about that too cuz you have, you know, let's say over the course of a decade you have about 100 guys suit up for either side. There's got to be guys that don't talk to each other still. Like oh, for there, sure. There's got to be guys that that like hate each other. That's what meeting in the playoffs does year after year after year. Jamie McCown, when I think of McCown, obviously growing up, I think of his number 34 skating for the Flames. I think of, of the, the, the maybe the second most iconic mustache on the team behind Lanny's. I don't know. But then, of course, it's he, had, a big, he, had, he had the Calgary Flames he, of mustaches. He the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the second best in the league and no one cared. Yeah, yeah no one cared. Yeah. That's right. Although I think there's some other guys that were rocking Moe's that, that might not yeah. appreciate that he gets the silver medal yeah. de facto. But Herald also, of course, steps, part yeah. of the big uh, part of the big trade that saw Doug Gilmore go to Toronto, that big 10 player deal that when I think of Jamie McCown how can you forget that part uh walks one of your big sponsors on the hedge of course is cool bet uh you present your odds uh every single day why don't you take this one over here uh cool bet has this at coolbet.com as their match of the day and uh they're favoring the flames uh to my amateur eye it looks like to a pretty significant degree for game mm-hmm. one yeah Calgary's a pretty heavy favorite in this game and in the series if you want to wager a little bit on it um, you know, I, I know that, that sports betting is a new aspect to a lot of people. Um, it's it's part of what we talk about on the hedge on the podcast, and Coolbet is our sportsbook sponsor. Um, I I talked earlier about sometimes losing your fandom a little bit, or you get too close to it, or you grow up, or your kids like a different team, or whatever. Um, I bet on sports for 15, 20 years. It's been a, a part of my life to keep interest to make things more exciting that's yeah. kind of been my my thing but here's here's what i think about this series is i i am a firm believer in this man i know you know and it's one of the reasons i called the show the hedge i love the happiness hedge it's called or the emotional hedge okay. and if you are a huge fan like like my like for instance right my dad's not a big sports better but he in his in his older age he gets anxious watching these playoff games they're intense and they're a little too much for him. So he kind of watches with the sound off or he watches reading a book or sometimes he doesn't watch at all. He checks the score. And then but he really wanted the Oilers to win the other night. So what did he do? He bet 10 bucks on the L.A. Kings. 
and that kind of calmed him down a little bit because he's like, either my team wins or I make 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah, so, hey, can I can right? I out you on something, Johnny? Are you okay if I out you on this? Feels like a day where it's just a lot of outings. We're just we're just piling on you here <laughs> for the purposes of content. But you told me on Saturday, yeah, game seven, that you made a very interesting bet. I'm curious for Walks' take on this one. And uh, this is from Walks. He said, you know, it calms you down. So I bet I bet for both teams to win. <laughs> Finals. Yeah. So I was like, he, I like, like he you, said. Like what do you mean you bet on both teams to win? I bet final score. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what I bet, but I bet two final scores on each team to win. And I was like, oh, okay, e- okay. either either my team wins or maybe maybe yeah. I win some right. money. So it's it, it's yeah. true. Like, I think driving today, listening to all the morning shows, I'm doing like my prep where I just listen to all the morning shows. Your mental shows. prep. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, the feeling... Number one feeling is anxiety. I mean, there's excitement second, and mm-hmm. third is probably scared, but people are just so anxious. So anything you can do to calm yourself today and place a little happiness yeah. hedge, do it. I, yeah, and, and so anyway, the happiness hedge is basically betting against your team and setting up a win-win scenario. But it's very important to – you have to have the right dollar amount. Like, So here's, here's kind of how I think. Let's say I'm a big, um, a big Calgary Flames fan today. And my life revolves around the flames. And I just, I do not know what I'm going to do with myself if they lose to the Edmonton Oilers. So you think, how much, how much money would I pay for my team to win? <laughs> and you have to put it to the exact cent. Because if it's too much, all of a sudden you're cheering against your team. But the exact cent, you're like, hey, I, I would pay $50 if I could guarantee my team won. So you, you put that on the other side. You bet it on the other side. And that way you either get that money or you were happy to lose it anyway. Yeah, that's kind of how I view it. I love how, this. That's how I view the gambling angle. Yeah. And it's really, it's really ramping up. I mean, whether or not more people are betting now than ever before, I think that it's probably safe to say that they are. Mm-hmm. Advertising for betting is yeah. certainly up. And I think yeah. it's probably because it's way more convenient for people as well now. And it does indicate to me a bit of a change in how people are approaching how they enjoy sports or how they take it in. There's always been fantasy hockey pools. There's always been the people that duck into the gas station to play, like, you know, the, the paper fill in the notches on the on the chit yeah, with your, the pencil to, to make your, your sports yeah. select. Yeah. I didn't know if you wanted me to mention the name or not. I was trying to keep it as ambiguous <laughs> as possible. But then you've got like at coolbet.com, you've got this whole new era and people are doing it on their phone. I'll yeah. see people. There's three minutes left in a game and someone will say, I'm going to bet on the outcome of the game. But three yeah. minutes left. It's totally different. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a new era. Um, and I think for a lot of people, but it's interesting you mentioned fantasy pools or, you know, you go into your playoff pool. In a, in a weird way, a lot of people have been betting on sports for a lot of years just in a different capacity. And, and one of the reasons um, and one of the aspects of, of conversation on, on my show, uh, The Hedge, is, is, I mean, it's 2022 and you would never dream of having something that's not customizable right like you wouldn't you customize your car you don't even get your burger you know the way someone else wants it everything you get you know your house whatever is customized to you why can't your relationship with sports and sports fandom be the same thing right I'm not an avalanche fan or I'm not a Bruins fan but in our hockey pool I own Brad Marchand annoying so he's one of my one of my (laughs) one of my favorite players right but I'm not a Bruins fan but I own that guy in a fantasy pool league tonight I might want to cheer for Steph Curry so I put a few dollars on him getting 10 three-pointers like you can do anything yeah Mm -hmm. and it's customizable and and that's I think that's part of sports betting for a lot of years you know Bob and and Barb 
from Edmonton, you know, the only time that they, they in their head, we got to we get to bet on the Oilers to win the Cup is when they take their trip to Vegas and you walk up to the window and you yeah. put the ticket, then you fly home and heaven forbid they win because then you got to fly back to Vegas to catch it in. Well, now you can just do it on your phone. Were either of you guys surprised? Uh, Walks, were you surprised in particular when Wayne Gretzky picked Calgary to win this series? Uh, so here's my theory. I just talked about the happiness hedge. That's what Wayne did right there, <laughs> yeah. right? Because if he's, he picked Calgary to win. No one's mad at Wayne. It's Wayne. That's not true. Well, some people are mad. There's a lot of people mad at Wayne, and they're all in my social media. They're 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 not mad. (laughs) They're they're not mad. They just feel like they saw mummy kissing Santa Claus. (laughs) Like they don't really kind of understand what's going on here. But let's look two weeks from now. Look, let's look at the end result. Two things: either Wayne is right, and it's like, well, he's the great one, and he's a good analyst, and he knows what he's talking about. Or nobody cares because the Oilers win. (laughs) Or who cares that Gretzky picked against them? them? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what a lot no, of people I, think. Like the, he, he, I think he it's a his, reverse jinx. And I don't think, I think. And, and to be honest, I'm just having fun and I'm being facetious here, to be clear, uh, because if Wayne ever hears this for any reason, I want him to know I'm on your side, Wayne, and I'd love <laughs> for you to shoot show. me a tech. Come on the show and we can <laughs> hang out anytime. But like, there's a statue of him outside the Oilers Church well, of Hockey. Now, I'm not saying that that I'm not saying that he's not wearing a Flames jersey. And I'm not saying that that means he has to pick the Oilers every time, but I think a lot of people were like, what the hell, man? Like, he's the greatest of all time, and he's certainly the greatest oiler of all time. Uh, he's, I mean, he's the greatest, one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yeah. And uh, I just was kind of like, ooh. Yeah. But I also like that he kept it real. If he thinks Calgary's going to win, he says Calgary's going to win. He's doing his job as a TNT commentator. Yeah. And, right? and you're right. And today, like, I, like we mentioned, Kevin Lowe and Jamie McCown, like, I don't know if I'm going to ask them for predictions because – Kevin Lowe is not picking the Flames, and Jamie McCown's not picking the Oilers. It's kind of, we try to ask questions that we don't know the answers to already, I think, on yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Jillian says what? They wanted Wayne to lie? Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I like this one from Amber, by the way. Amber says, we still have the Red Mile. We've just added the Red Lot. Why? Because we kick ass, she says in all caps. Yeah. Although, although the and we both spent time in Calgary in 04, the staple of the Red Mile, uh, R.I.P. Melrose Place closed years ago. I didn't know Melrose closed. Just yes. Melrose, not Melrose Place. That's the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the bar was originally called no, Melrose, Melrose Place. No, Melrose. <laughs> Melrose Cafe and Bar. Okay. I still have the matchbooks from All it. Right. Oh, well, yeah, buddy. It, it closed. I, I spent like uh, age 19 to 24 at Melrose. <laughs> and I had my own stool and everything. I swear it was Melrose Place. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> but, but you're right. That was And that was a license to print money for those guys, like Red Mile Days. And here's what I'm not seeing yet. Um, if you want to join me, by the way, if, if, if you're in in our neck of the woods i'm going to be hosting the game at greta bar tonight downtown edmonton if you want to join us it used to be back in the day 0406 cup runs that if you wanted a table at a bar to watch you were there at noon mm-hmm. you were there at like 1 p.m at the latest mm-hmm. and i wonder if this is gonna i wonder if we're gonna see a, a trend there too uh filling up the moss pit in edmonton the red lot in calgary people want to be right up near the stage i bet you it's gonna be a whole new ball game starting today i think so i i noticed um in round one here in Edmonton, there's a bit of a, a nervous energy among fans. Um, it was loud. It was boisterous. People have car flags. But everyone was a little gun shy of, you know, perhaps losing to the LA Kings, which had been an upset and not getting the job done. Meanwhile, Calgary, maybe they do get the job done. And you had just lost to Winnipeg in four straight the year before. And then the weird COVID play in tournament, you lost to Chicago and I think people were, oh, no, not again. L.A. is going to be a, a tough matchup. 
and you could feel that game seven, you could feel like a weight lift off the city's shoulders. And not that they're going to go on, on some big run or not that they're going to beat the Calgary Flames, but I think I think people, you know, look at what happened to the Leafs, right? They're out, they're talking about why they're out again. And, and for Edmonton, it's, you know, another two weeks and, and you're free to let's go out, let's go to the bars, let's go to the restaurants, let's go to the game, let's go down to Calgary. For one of the teams... It will all soon be done. And for another one of the teams, they will be one step closer to hoisting either their second or sixth Stanley Cup. We shall see. I was thinking about that today, though. Like, dude, like I don't even think people are thinking about the Cup now. Like, people are like, who well, cares this, if we... This is the Stanley like Cup Like, Oilers and Flames yeah, fan, they're like, as long as we beat that team, who cares if we win the Stanley Cup? Let's just beat this team. This is Andrew Walker that's been hanging out with us. You can subscribe to his podcast. You can subscribe to his YouTube channel. And, of course, you can catch his show every weekday via thehedgepod.com, a proud relay property. Walks, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, are, 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 have you, have you, I didn't ask you a direct personal question. Have you placed a wager on this series yet or on well, game it's, one? It's, it's complicated. My <laughs> Stanley Cup pick yes. from preseason yeah. at 28 to 1 Both of us. was Oilers. the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. So yeah, it's called the hedge. I will be betting on the Calgary Flames to protect that wager. Jeez, I like the strategy. I got <laughs> like it too. I, I got That was the whole and idea. I, and I hope we hit yeah. it 28 to 1 because I've already spent the money. So, <laughs> no, that's, I'm just joking. That's bad betting. And no, I you're love, not. I love fine. how betting. No, I'm not <laughs> out of the shadows now. Like it's like I don't go in and bet a ton of money, and it, and he, he's right. It makes the game more exciting. You, your team starts losing, you start cheering for the other team. This guy yeah. to get a penalty at this yeah. point, but uh, it used to be you had to go. That'd to, be another thing. Imagine like yeah, you, you're right. You said to me the other what if what if back in 1991, what would you have said to future Jespo about the next battle of Alberta? You could have said you'll be legally smoking cannabis in the streets, <laughs> placing bets on your phone. Nobody would know what year. And you, you would were have been like, about. what's a phone? What's a phone? Yeah. <laughs> Smartphone? What the Although, hell is that? One one little aside. Uh, we have uh, um, a, a rec hockey skate that we play in Wednesdays at 3 p.m. I don't know if you're uh, playing today, but this the old adage of you know playing uh, on on you know road hockey with sticks and and who are you and who next goal wins. And I was thinking about that today. Who are you going to be today in like the last hockey game before? Battle of Alberta, first one in 31 years. We would assign as kids growing up on Parkview Crescent in Calgary, we would assign the two teams were the Flames and the Oilers all the time. And, you know, we'd sticks in the middle, split the sticks, and one team would be the Flames, one would be the Oilers. And I, I was always... Mac T. When I was the Oilers, <laughs> I loved it. I just loved, even though I couldn't stand his team at the time. Yeah. I loved that he played without a bucket, mm -hmm. and I loved his his curly hair. And I was just a big Mac T fan. So when I got to know him as an adult, I let him know. I said I was always you in road hockey, and he. And I don't think he quite knew how to took it, to, how to take it. But all right, walks. Have a great show today. Again, thehedgepod.com. That's host Andrew Walker. You can follow him on Twitter at awalksofficial and find him on Instagram too. Uh, coming up in just a moment, Farah Khan. We're going to talk about dress codes and gender equity. Why it matters. This is a high-profile story out of Ottawa. But first, every Wednesday, we head out to the mountains. We, 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 we fill our lungs with metaphorical fresh air as we remind ourselves the memories to be made in Jasper. We call it My Jasper Memories, presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. Of course, May Long Weekend's coming right up just a few days from now, and that means that it's officially cabin season in Jasper. We want to tell you and remind you, of course, that as the beginning of this sort of fleeting time of year when warmer weather adventures are possible in the Rockies, 
Almost all of the summer experiences in Jasper National Park, the cabins, the tours are opening up for the season this May long weekend. The lakes are clear. Lac Beauvert, for example, at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, you can rent canoes, you can rent kayaks. That's Pyramid Lake right there as well. Equally as look at that Pyramid Mountain. If you're watching this on YouTube, incredible, Johnny. The way that the sun hits Pyramid Mountain, absolutely stunning. It brings out that kind of copper color. You can get these big, beautiful canoes uh, via Wild Current Outfitters on the guided canoe tours, which is really neat. They provide the snacks, and if you'd like. They can even do the paddling for you. Although I suggest maybe <laughs> give them a hand with them. Give them a, pick up a paddle and give them a hand. But very cool stuff if you want to just relax in these handcrafted Voyager canoes. And then, of course, Jasper. You've seen this in past. We've told you in past My Jasper Memories. You can check out jasper.travel slash real talk. It's the cabin capital of Canada, Jasper is. And so a few of them, of course, open year round. But this is the time when your options really blossom. So you've got like the multi-bedroom log houses, these big, beautiful A-frames, all the way down to the cozy riverside nooks. This weekend, a great time to go rafting. Early in the season, as the snow is melting from the mountaintops, the heritage rivers in Jasper get extra spicy, and a rafting tour is a fun and oftentimes a hilarious way to experience this wet and wild side of Jasper. You can learn more, as mentioned, at jasper.travel slash realtalk. And don't forget, if you're posting on Instagram, posting on Twitter, we want to see your videos, your photo. Make sure you use the hashtag MyJasper and RealTalkRJ, and you could see your My Jasper memory featured right here on the show we were as a family out there in jasper this was this was a later season rafting adventure mm -hmm. uh you can find them on my instagram if you want to check them out and uh so so the river's a little bit more the athabasca river's a little bit more chill sure uh in the fall the spring runoff has stopped obviously the summer season has had its way and and we're we're, we're sort of uh drifting we're just we're just at a, at a meandering kind of a pace uh and, and we're passing these cabins along the Athabasca River, they're right there. And this yeah. osprey is fishing. It's like hunting, I guess you'd call it. This osprey is diving down for fish. Uh, yeah. and, and you can see the process. It leaves the nest. It circles around. It dives. It comes back up, back to the nest. I mean, it, we're just watching. It's just absolutely phenomenal. And then as we're coming around the bend, our raft guide says to us, he says, now keep an eye out, he says, because we saw a sow grizzly and a cub on the side of the river wow. just right by the cabins last time we were here. I'm going, where else in Canada Can you are get you getting all this? an experience like this? It's incredible. Just amazing stuff. So, Not to um, mention the drive out there. It's just, oh, it just calms you. It's just great. Yeah, there's something about this time of year, right? The greenery's starting to come. You're get you're getting your early season wildflowers. This is certainly the shoulder season for hikers. It's it's uh it's you're just kind of getting there because as you know, if you spend a lot of time in the backcountry, you you've still got the spring melt that's happening. You've still got some ice and snow conditions, and some of it can be a little bit unstable. So you keep that in mind. But it's pretty exciting once you start getting into June, especially in those early wildflowers are coming up, and there's there's nothing like it. If you know, you know. I could talk about this all day long. But we want to turn our attention to an item that's been making news across the country. And as we endeavor to do here on Real Talk, take something that was in the news and ask what it means. Zoom out, if you will, and take a bigger picture on it. So for context, we want to show you this video. And I'll give you some commentary for those that are listening on the podcast. If you're watching it on YouTube, this was shot by a high school student in Ottawa. Uh, students and politicians right now. Let's roll it, Johnny, and take a look. This was a demonstration. Students walking out to protest a dress code. 
And as you can see, Ottawa police arrived to break up the demonstration. And this is a young high school student uh, being briefly detained by police officers, put into handcuffs. And as you can hear, the hundreds of students gathered outside are taking real issue with it, suggesting that this is not the treatment that they would expect for students that were demonstrating against, they say, sexual harassment, an outdated ideology behind these dress codes. Now, to be fair, the police say that this was a trespassing instance, that this was a student that did not belong to that high school. Other students approaching police and being told to back off, it certainly put this story in front of the entire country, uh, including our next guest, who's been doing the work in this space for a long time. Farah Khan, as a matter of fact, has spent over two decades raising awareness about the intersections of gender-based violence and equity through education, policy, art, and advocacy. She's the executive director of the social change consultancy Possibility Seeds and the manager of Consent Comes First, which is the Office of Sexual Violence Support and Education at Toronto Metropolitan University. Farah Khan joining us, making her Real Talk debut today. It's great to have you here. Thanks for making time for us. I'm so excited to be here. I always want to recognize uh, when someone shuffles their schedule around to accommodate an interview. We really appreciate that. But Farah, this is a conversation that we've been wanting to have. And I want to dig into the bigger picture, like we said. But but first, uh, your first reaction when you saw that video, where did your mind go? Oh, the fact that students shouldn't be policed and harmed when they're trying to raise their voice around dress codes. And what we know about dress codes time and time again, because this is an annual thing. Annually, we have students that talk about the fact that dress codes are unfairly policing or harming young women, trans folks, gender non-binary people, black students, fat students, because what it does is it says that certain bodies, you know, should be covered up. There's something shameful about them. And that's not what it should be. I think when I first saw that too, I thought, wow, isn't it great that these students are saying that sexual harassment isn't okay? The fact that 50, so I think there was reported about 50 students were brought into the office and told that their clothing was inappropriate. And they had to do, I think it was a bend over test that yeah. some students reported, which is a form of sexual harassment in of itself. So lots of this is very concerning. And what makes me upset too, is that the energy that's put into dress codes that schools do could be used in other ways, such as addressing sexual assault. So many of these students are talking about sexual assault in their schools. We're not listening, except we're focusing on their what they're wearing. Yeah, this is, I mean, according to what students have have uh, reported by way of their own social media, media reports, in other words, conversations they've had with journalists, as well as some of this corroborated by educators, um, there was a dress code inform, enforcement blitz uh, at this school, Ecole Secondaire Catholic Beatrice de Loge, my apologies for my French, um, the previous day of this enforcement blitz when mainly girls pulled out of class to see whether or not their clothing conformed to the rules. And like you said, Far, and this was the one that kind of caught my eye in a way where I went, I'm not sure what anybody was thinking on this one. Um, teenage girls told to bend over and try to touch their toes to see if their clothes conformed with the dress code, uh, being overseen and supervised by male educators. To me, it just there's red flags waving all over the place. Um, but bigger picture, with regards to, to dress codes, people are going to say, well, hang on a second. The, the average Canadian might be going, I see this described as a protest against sexual harassment. Uh, maybe when I went to school, says the average Canadian, we had certain limitations on what we could or couldn't wear. How do you draw the line between dress code and sexual harassment? Where do we need to start our understanding here? I think we need to understand that dress codes 
police young women's bodies, especially. So dress codes at schools, tell presenting students, you know, cover up. You are the one that are distracting to your other peers. You make it uncomfortable for them. But that feeds into two things about rape culture. One, this idea that women are to blame when they are sexually harassed or sexually assaulted, that somehow they're asking for it with their clothing. Your clothing is never consent. The second thing, it also it just says horrible things about young men. It says that young men can control themselves, that it's a part of their nature to commit sexual harassment if they see a bare shoulder or a smidgen of tummy. That's not it. And so we actually have to give the benefit of the doubt to these students, and we're not right now. And dress codes also, people rationalize them and saying, oh, we're, we're getting young people ready for the real world. Young people are in the real world already. Young people work. They have jobs. They oftentimes are taking care of their families, taking care of their communities. They know these things. Let them figure out their self-expression. That's also the thing where we have to think about that we always are like, oh, it's okay. Like we dealt with it. So they should be able to put up with it. But the thing is, is that just because we had to live through horrible things doesn't mean our young people in our lives have to live through it either. And Uh that's the part that really makes me upset. Is there a difference in your mind? Um, you know, I, I see some people here commenting live, and I'm sure that we'll get some emails from people later to talk at ryanjesperson.com that'll say, well, I went to a school that had school uniforms. I did too. And, and, and okay, so I want your, your, your perspective on this because I went to a, a private school that implemented uniforms literally the year after I left. And, and I remember <laughs> because that, of you, maybe because of me. I don't know. Well, let me tell you far. Actually, story time real quick. I was sent to the office twice uh, for, for uh, clothing related complaints. One of them was I was in grade four and I wasn't wearing socks. I wasn't wearing socks uh, under my shoes. And I was telling the other students that they didn't have to wear socks either. And I was sent to the office and had to get my You're parents amazing. to sign a letter. Can you believe this? The other one, uh, and this was a religious private school. Uh, you remember the logo? Remember the clothing company, Voirnay, France? And it had the big yes. V with the line through it. Mm-hmm. Well, it was implied that this was an upside down anarchy symbol. And so I was then sent to the office for repping an upside down anarchy symbol. So those are my experiences in school with clothing related stuff. I don't mean to diminish the experience of students whose, uh, you know, reality is much more serious and, and a little less comical. But I remember the justification of the dress code coming in, the uniforms in particular, was that it evened the playing field for everybody, right? There were no more Air Jordans or there was no more $200 jeans or nobody was wearing the big leather jacket. All the students were wearing the same thing and people thought this was equity in action. What's your perspective? But there's a difference between uniforms and dress codes. Sure. Like, so a uniform is this piece that, you know, we wear and we figure out and maybe that feels good for us in different ways. Like you can wear pants, you can wear skirts, you can do different things. I I think if schools have that, I don't have as much of a question around that in the way that I don't think for students, if that's what feels comfortable with them, great. But my my question is around dress codes is when students are wearing t-shirts and shorts And we already, if you look, okay, I'm a parent of a three-year-old. I go to look at shorts for him. And I was like, oh, the shorts, they didn't have really cute colors. I'm going to go to the the boys department, sorry, the girls department to look for shorts for him. The shorts for girls are way shorter, made. But then we police girls and say that their shorts shouldn't be too short. Yet all we give to them, all we sell to them are short shorts. All we tell them. So we don't allow girls to express themselves. But when we, we also shame them when they do wear the clothing that we say is gendered. We tell people that they should dress in a certain way because if they don't, we may be confusing. So my partner's gender non-binary, they wear suits all the time. You know, if dress codes oftentimes say that they should not, they should dress more feminine because that is the gender that they were assigned at birth. 
Well, that's not the way that works. And so dress codes to me, I know a lot of people feel comfortable with them and maybe they level the playing field in some ways, but they don't when they police our gender, they police our bodies. When they say, oh, on a fat body, that this isn't inappropriate, but on a skinny body, that would be okay. That's not okay either. And so dress codes, a lot of times actually create more problems for young people and for everyone. And when we talk about dress codes too, think about why you have them in the first place. Are you policing people's expression? Are you policing people's bodies? Are you making decisions about how they are exploring themselves at this time? I think about the show Heartstopper. I don't know. Do you, are you watching it right now? I've never heard of it. it. No. What? It's the most popular show on Netflix, I think. Um, it's a show about queer youth and trans youth. And there's one young person who they go to a uniform school. And she talks about the fact that as a trans girl, when she was seen as a boy by some of her classmates, they, you know, and some of the teachers, they kept telling her to not have long hair because that was inappropriate and crossed the dress code for the school or her wanting to wear skirts or different things. So think about the fact that dress codes actually police people in lots of different ways. And if you haven't seen Heartstopper, it is literally the best show. I like, literally just texted it to myself. I text myself so I don't forget <laughs> things. And I'm like, as soon as I'm done the new season of Kids in the Hall, I'm now going to watch Heartstopper. And far, that's good because I've been looking for a new show. So I appreciate it. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm tempted. I feel like with you, this conversation can go anywhere. So I'm not too worried about going off on tangents because maybe it all will fit together. But, but as you're talking about your experience with your three-year-old and shopping for shorts, I'm even thinking of debates that I've seen around professional and high level amateur sports. I mean, for example, beach volleyball as an yes. example and, and, and what the men wear versus the women. Yeah. And that's the thing. So we create these dress codes. Who gets to define that? So if you, I don't know if you saw the picture that came out when there was all these women that were protesting for the Olympics to not have to wear the pretty much bikini bottoms. Right. And the list of people that made that decision were all men. So dress codes also are a way to force people to be in certain gender ideas of what sells also. So the idea that we need women to wear certain types of clothing when they're playing sports so that we can sell advertisement, that we can enjoy the sport. But the thing is, if men can play in shorts that are down to their knees, why do women have to dress in bikini bottoms and be forced to do that? And so that's something to think about, right? Like dress codes are oftentimes seeped in misogyny, seeped in ideas of gender policing. And this is what we don't want. We want people to be able to like self-express themselves. And it's the same with like figure skating, hockey, all kinds of like different things. Like people should be able to play sports and not have to think, oh, I have to dress a certain way. I think about hijab bans too. So mm -hmm. I worked for a decade to get the hijab ban lifted that women that played soccer that they would be allowed to play soccer with their hijab. It doesn't affect the way that they play. Yet FIFA had pushed and pushed and pushed and was not moving on this. And it was taking us to have, we would organize soccer matches of young hijabi girls, Muslim girls in front of the legislator and be like, okay, look, they're playing and they're fine. And so dress codes have oftentimes also been about racism as well. Who gets to be seen and who doesn't, who's allowed to be a part of things, who doesn't. We saw that an example, there was, a young man in the States who had dreads and his school said for wrestling that he had to cut them off if yeah. he wanted to play that game. That is how anti-black racism is embedded in dress codes. So dress codes are not new neutral. They're not, they're not neutral. I mean, need to move away from that idea that they are.
we're talking to Farah Khan. <clears throat> By the way, can I acknowledge something? Uh, and this is my fault. Uh, I, I've put together the font information, so you'll see when we font you, uh, we put up websites that, that people can learn more about, about what you're doing. And you know what I'm realizing is I was researching you yesterday and and uh, and checking out the work that you've done with Consent Comes First, and I realized that we've put up Ryerson.ca. And of course... I mean, that's still the web address, but the, the name has changed to Toronto Metropolitan yeah. University. Um, your your faculty, what's your technical, are you faculty there? Is that the technical title? Oh, no, no. I'm the manager or, of Consent Comes First. I run the sexual assault center there. So it's okay. So you're the manager of the center. Okay, per perfect. Yeah. Um, that That's also an interesting story. I, I'm, all I'm doing is derailing our conversation all over the place, but I want to <laughs> talk to you about 15 different things. Um, how has that name change come along? That was, that was a big, when we talk about how things change and attitudes change and society evolves, that was a big one. Yeah, I think it shows a lot of leadership, you know, saying and recognizing and listening to indigenous communities, to students, to survivors, to community elders that said, this is not okay. This is someone who was a part of a harmful and horrible past of Canada and the creation of this country, the genocide of indigenous people. And so there was a lot of movement and work and thoughtfulness to go into a name change. And that shows to me that the university community and the, the people, the administration are listening and wanting to move forward in a good way, yeah. which is really important. No, it's encouraging Names too, right? Names do have power. We are yeah. currently, I mean, the studio where we're coming to you at right now, um, this is just on the border of a neighborhood in Edmonton called Oliver. And Frank Oliver, after whom the neighborhood is named, uh, was a publisher of some some pretty horrific stuff, some pretty heinous stuff. It was a political operative and did a lot of stuff a long time ago, decades ago. And I know that the Oliver Community League right now is wrestling with a name change. As a matter of fact, with the blessing of some of the descendants of Frank Oliver, who've said it is time to change the name. But Far, you know what's really cool is there's this kind of like mega shopping complex, you know, the big sprawling shopping complexes. Um, they're a private entity. I mean, they're owned by a, by a big, huge international group. They went ahead and changed their name to Unity Square from Oliver Square on their own. They're not waiting for the name change of the neighborhood. I thought that was really impressive. Yeah. I love the quote by Maya Angelou, and she says, history, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived, but if faced with courage, need not to be lived again. Ooh. And I think about that with this kind of conversation. We have to recognize that the history that's happened in this country, the creation of this country was built on sexual violence, gender-based violence that continues to this day in terms of how Indigenous people are treated and how this country was was made. And so if we don't face that and actually address it, and do real change, then we are not actually going to move forward in a good way, in a way that actually is built on equity and inclusion. So in uh, words matter. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Jill's watching this and, and uh, she's a teacher and she says, you know, when it, when it comes to dress codes, um, and in particular, she's talking about what she knows, dress codes in Edmonton public's system cannot include references to gender, body parts, or specific clothing items. She says, but... Some teachers still try to police girls' clothing. Jess, meantime, is watching. Jess says, I honestly don't know how I feel about this. I do feel like there should be standards for clothing at school, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, Farah, what do you think? You know, I understand, like, it, it, and especially when you become a parent, like, there's things that I was like, I think this one way, and then it changes over time. But I do think that 
we need to check ourselves why we're doing certain things, why we think something that we've been told time and time again was normal. For the longest time, women were told that we could only wear skirts. We weren't allowed to wear pants. Things have changed. And I understand that policies may not say explicitly that they're about gender, but they are about gender because the people that are most affected by dress code policies are women, are girls, are gender non-binary people, are trans folks. Hat policies are really about policing young black men and racialized men. Those conversations are consistently that. And if we're talking about colonialism, which we were just a minute ago, we're talking about the name change of my university that I work at. We have to think about too, that dress codes are also embedded in colonialism. This idea that indigenous students, when they were taken into residential schools, when they're kidnapped from their families, their hair was cut, their clothes were changed. Those are part of our legacy of this country. And so dress codes have a long history that are very concerning. You tweeted and I encourage everybody to to follow you on Twitter. We've linked to it from our promotional tweet this morning at Real Talk RJ. You, you were speaking to the Globe and Mail um, regarding dress codes. You tweet men in my inbox asking, do you believe in safe spaces for heterosexual young men as well, in which they are not having to contend with the way they are biologically hardwired, where they can learn in an environment where there is no sexual distraction. And then you have the eyes rolling emoji. Let's hit this one head on. So yeah, and there was a number of men that wrote to me very concerned about how this was playing out, dress codes and you know, poor young boys. I have more faith than men. I have four brothers. I have lots of men in my life and I have to have faith in men because I couldn't continue doing the work I do around gender-based violence if I didn't. And I have faith in men that they can control themselves when they see a bare shoulder, that they can work being beside someone who's very attractive. I can, you know, I'm very attracted to really cute women and I can handle myself when I'm around them. And I think they can too. And the idea that young boys, because of their hormones that are going on and their questions around their gender, then we need to actually give them better information about sexual health. We need to give them better information about relationships. And right now we're not, we don't have a comprehensive sexual health education across this province and process, sorry, across this country. And that's a problem. So why is everybody putting the onus on young girls' bodies as if to protect young men when we actually don't even give young men the information that they need to process their feelings, process their relationships, understand how sex and gender works for them, understand what flirting is, understand what's that weird feeling in my stomach or other parts of my body Mm. that I might kind of have a crush on someone or want to do something, or I don't know what I want to do. The thing is, is that I go across this country doing education about sexual assault, consent, relationships, and my inbox is mostly full of young men and not like that, that thing I posted, mostly young men being like, okay, I'm a virgin, but my girlfriend isn't, what do I do? How do I not show her that I am? Or I have a crush on someone. How do I tell them I like them? Or I think I hurt somebody in a relationship. How do I make it a right? How do I make it okay? So many young men don't have comprehensive information about sex and relationships that we actually fail them all the time. And comments like that, that was sent to me actually is failing young men because we don't believe in them and we're not giving them resources to actually explore in a good way. And I love young men. We need to better better support them. Hmm. This uh, work, before we thank you for your time, Far, I know you've got a busy morning, but, but I want to ask you about the work that happens at Consent Comes First and, and maybe how it's evolved or advanced uh, over the years. I mean, are the conversations that you're having with young people or the conversations that you and your team are facilitating, are they dramatically different than they would have been 10 or 20 years ago? 
Oh yeah. Cause you know, 20 years ago, social media wasn't a thing, right? We weren't texting each other the same way. I don't know when you dated people, but like it was just the time when I think internet dating was popular and it was kind of a thing you don't talk about. I feel like a lot of young people I talk to and work with, they find that their relationships feel really transactional. So a lot of, not a lot of talking beforehand, not a lot of getting to know someone. There's a lot of fear around online harassment, sharing imagery. I think there's a lot of pressure too, because um, sexual imagery conversations about por- porn are not really widely available in a good way. So what I mean by that is that porn is available, all kinds of it, and I'm not anti-porn, but the kind of thing that I'm concerned about is that we don't have porn literacy. So young people are watching porn in a lot of younger age, a lot more violent porn, a lot more um, explicit, and they don't have someone that's saying, okay, this is not actually how sex is on the regular. This person's an actor. They're taking maybe some medication to help them do this. There's a lot of lube here. They're having conversations like beforehand. It's not like this. And so there's a lot of concerns we have. I think also what we know is under the pandemic that sexual assault, gender-based violence has risen to astronomical levels. And so at our office in the past, even two years, we've seen so many more people come to us with much more violent crimes committed against them, people being scared. I think we're also seeing more young men come forward. So our office works with all genders. And I see men come to my office all the time talking about child sexual abuse, talking about um, same-sex partner abuse, talking about really being scared if they don't know how to support their partner who's been sexually assaulted. That part gives me hope. Mm. Seeing young men come to my office and say, I want to be a better partner. I want to be a better lover. My partner is a survivor. Because if one in three women are sexual assault survivors, then you probably will be dating someone in your life if you are a heterosexual man that's been affected by sexual assault. So you better be a better partner. And that's part of that is really learning that. That's such an important message. Um, I will say in closing, uh, I wanted to circle back. I'm, am I surprised? Maybe I'm a little surprised because, I mean, you talk about, you're talking about sexual violence, you're talking about exploitation, and at the same time, you're not inherently anti-porn. And a lot of times the objection around pornography center around exploitation, right? And, and, yeah. and sort of perpetuating these ideas of women as submissive or women as these sexual servants and kind of the attitudes that come along with the mm-hmm. unrealistic nature of, dare I say, plot lines uh, in porn. <laughs> but, but to hear you say you're not inherently against it, I think is interesting. Yeah, I think there are directors like Erica Lust. I don't know if you've looked at her stuff, but mm-hmm. Erica Lust does consensual. Do you want to get it? No, I'm just. Yeah probably want to get that one on right now, but she'd be great to have on the show because she, she really talks about consent from the way in she chooses actors and the way in which she creates plot lines, the way in which she has storytelling. She actually talks about like there's consent conversations in the pieces. Um, She's someone I really respect on this. And I think the thing is that sex work inherently isn't anti-feminist and that's a whole other conversation we can have at a different time, but I think there's great people that talk about sex work. Um, But the thing is, is that I always say this is that if you think, so I've had parents email me and say, you are talking about, you should be just talking about sexual assault. You're talking about pleasure. You're talking about sexual communication. You're talking about flirting. You shouldn't be doing that. You should just talk about sexual violence. The thing is we can't keep scare tactics with students and young people and anybody. We can't just say, I'm going to talk to you about all the scary things and not talk about what the good things are. And sexual pleasure is a part of that. And if I just say to a young person, you shouldn't watch porn and close that door, they're going to open the window. They're going to find another way. And so we have to talk about it with them. We have to talk about it from a harm reduction place. We have to talk about a place of let's have a dialogue because if we just shut it, 
then we're actually not creating space for them to learn, explore, and actually have factual information. Because that's the problem too, is that when we don't actually have those conversations, then they go somewhere else to find the facts. And oftentimes those facts are not actually correct. And so there's amazing organizations that provide that information, like Action Canada, Planned Parenthood. I love Scarlet Teen. I think it works for any age group. They have great sexual health information, but learn instead of just think that you know better. And as a parent and as a friend and as a community member and as a lover, we should know this stuff. Hmm. You can Google consent comes first if you want to learn more about what Farah and her team are doing. Uh, she's the executive director of the social change consultancy Possibility Seeds and manager of Consent Comes First, as mentioned, the Office of Sexual Violence Support and Education at the recently renamed Toronto Metropolitan University. Farah, I knew this was going to be a great conversation. I didn't think we'd cover as much ground as we did, but I'm not surprised we did. Thank you for this. Nice to see you. Have a great day. Yeah, great to see you as well. And I really do encourage you to follow uh, Far on Twitter. She's uh, she's brilliant. And I've been following her for a long time, and she's got some great perspectives Doing there. Doing it right now. Yeah, man. That was awesome. Isn't that great? And, and and she's right. Like, again, I say this after every guest, but we should have done a whole show with her. Because when she was touching on at the end about, you know, pornography and how it needs to, you know, it's it's not real. I get scared. Like, when I grew up, it wasn't like it is today. I just wonder, like, how teens are learning about sex it must be it's just all wrong that's not real life like it's not it's, yeah. it's making everyone feel bad you know, you know the the one of the cool things about far as well and uh this this is sort of a peek behind the curtain we reached out to her a couple of weeks ago because mm. she was tweeting and, and offering some public commentary around roe v wade and the the, yeah. the the pending or some are calling it maybe the even the inevitable uh the rumored reversal of that 1973 ruling and what it means for abortion access in canada and and far was talking a lot about it and i reached out to her and i said i'd love for you to be on our roundtable on a panel discussion we're putting together she goes you know what she said, if I could, there are other people that are doing, in her mind, in her words, more significant or more important or more direct work in that space. Wow. And she said, can I make a couple of recommendations of people you should have on the show? She referenced Action Canada. Those were They were represented on that roundtable a couple of weeks ago. So that's somebody. She also walks the walk, mm-hmm. you know, and doesn't just talk the talk. That's Farah Khan. Uh, we're going to have to obviously get her back. I want to ask you a question Definitely. in just a sec, Johnny. But first, let's remember that these conversations, this real talk happens because of sponsors that quite frankly, keep us on the air every single day. And that includes the amazing team at Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. They know that urban front yards are challenging, right? The intimate space, there's kind of a cookie cutter layout in a lot of these neighborhoods. The strip of grass, you've got that single lonely tree. The tree that's doing its best, but it, it's just a few years old. and The tree that could. You'd never call it pathetic. It's just fledgling. It just needs a few years, right? Well, at Eden Landscaping, they can help you realize that your yard can be so much more than that barely developed basic minimum. Outdoor spaces are meant to be good for your soul, for your climate, for our ecosystem. So ask them about their urban butterfly yard approach. It's, it's a new approach respecting local plant species and important pollinators that need habitat. Think beyond a lawn with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials are trusted by our family. We feed our dogs, Moses and Monroe, their quality raw food twice a day. We love it because it's delivered to our door. It's convenient and we've seen the health benefits. The team at Grand Dog, it's a family-owned business, understand that your pets are family members and you care more about them 
then maybe even you care about yourself. You care about what goes into their food. You care about the impact that their food has on their health. And you want to understand why some people are going the raw route. I encourage you to check out their blog at granddog.ca. They've got some valuable information. Why is my dog refusing their food? Or what do I need to know about probiotics and prebiotics? How do you properly thaw and store raw dog food? It takes that extra second. Trust me, the payoff is there. And even what your dog's poop is telling you. That's right. The poop speaks, Johnny. The poop is telling you something. But what is it? Learn more at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first order delivered to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. At Local Environmental, they're keeping it local when it comes to recycling, water hauling, residential garbage collection. They do commercial work from the small ma and pa organizations all the way up to the malls and the hotels and the big guys. And they love to fight for your business. They love to compete with whoever's got your business right now. And they want you to know that they believe that communities deserve better. You can learn more about what they're doing at localenvironmental.ca. And of course, don't forget Trash Talk coming up on Friday, presented by Local Environmental. Get whatever you need off your chest by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. At Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, they've got all the options regardless of what your perspective is. We were talking about the price of gas yesterday, how some people are going to be looking to downsize their ride for the summer while we're looking at $1.85 a liter. Other people might be looking for something to pull their trailer. Buddy of mine just got one of those vintage bowlers, you know, these tiny love, little bowlers. My wife's in love with those. He yeah. loves it because he can pull it with his Jeep. Yeah. He doesn't need a big one ton to pull it. Regardless of what your family does when you get outdoors, when you celebrate the summer, they have you covered either new or pre-owned and still warrantied at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Our friends at Friesen Brothers are inviting you to, well, heat up the grill this weekend. It's May long weekend, and so why not check out the weekly highlights at Friesen Brothers? That includes their great smoker favorites out of the butcher shop, Alberta beef, Alberta pork, Alberta chicken. You can talk to their in-store butcher and let them know the exact cut you're looking for. Plus a lot of meat alternative barbecue options available. Mm. And of course their new seasonal sourdough. Johnny, you ever tried the sprouted grain sourdough? We are all about the sourdough. Oh buddy. Sprouted grain. It's one of nature's oldest processes to make whole grains easier for your body to digest. When a grain kernel is given just the right temperature, the right moisture, it begins to sprout. And it finds its way into Friesen Brothers' new seasonal sourdough. 16 locations across the province of Alberta, Alberta grown and Alberta owned. And it would not be an episode of Real Talk without reminding you about the Dairy Queen Blizzard lineup. You can find these at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, including the Reese's Pieces Cookie Dough Blizzard, the Cotton Candy Blizzard, and the Oreo Dirt Pie Blizzard featuring cookie pieces, gummy worms, and fudge crumble blended with our world-famous soft serve, sure to be a fan favorite at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Don't forget Did you to, ever... Well, what's up? Don't forget to double dilly. Oh, and don't forget <laughs> the double dilly with the dairy-free dilly bar as recommended <laughs> by John Hicks of Real Talk and oh, thehedgepod.com. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever attend a school like you're always you're you're a well dressed guy uh, and you take well, thank you. great pleasure a uh, great pleasure great pride you myself. take great pride in your appearance I do um, did you when you attended uh, school growing up were you ever to school that had like a dress code or dress standard or even a uniform was that ever part of your experience No but as uh, Fire was talking I was thinking about how our 
like our soccer team at school would practice uh, during like lunch hour or after school. And I remember they would do shirts and skins and the guys would have no shirts on on one side. And the other guys would have, you know, little jersey tags on. And I just I was thinking about that as she was talking. And I'm like, it's just a total it's a total like like you would never allow a woman to you know go topless and it was just it that just conjured up in my mind when she was talking some of the the parallels between men and women uh, at school and she's right though like you go to the mall all the women's clothes like the shorts are shorter the everything's built that way so it's it's kind of it's it's backwards that we you know try to I don't know, demean women and, and tell them they shouldn't dress a certain way. And uh, I know, I know there's parents and you're thinking this too, cause Wyatt, he's in school and yeah. you know, um, they want to kind of control and keep their uh, children young as long as they can. But I, I think the better route is just teaching them and, and letting them be free to make their own decisions. Well, this is always, it's, it's like the scene in every sitcom, right? Where the daughter, it's always the daughter yeah. comes down the stairs and it's usually the father Sitting on the couch, like I'm, I'm thinking of Al Bundy and Mary. I mean, I'm dating myself with all. You're my not going out in that, are references. you? You're not going yeah. out in that, are you? Yeah. Right? Or, or you know, young lady, you turn that train around and you get back upstairs and you wear something, right? And yeah. or, or the the joke of like you know the the daughter always the daughter leaves the house and then dumps the coat. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, am I am I wearing my Venture Beyond Tourism Jasper, my Jasper Memories T-shirt accidentally <laughs> this morning? There it is. Little brand placement. Uh, but in all seriousness, right? You du- you ditch the coat, you, you pull off the hoodie, yeah. and then you go out in, in whatever it is, you know, how you want to express yourself. And mm-hmm. and the idea, one of the things I think that Farah said that was so important, and by the way, I loved Alicia's comment on our live chat where she said, this is such an excellent talk. Uh, this was when we were talking to Farah Khan. She says, unfortunately, so many people are not equipped for a variety of reasons to have these conversations with mm-hmm. their kids. But Farah saying clothing is not consent, and it's a it's it's a bigger picture conversation. I think of a, of an Alberta judge. This is several years ago now, but Justice Robin Camp, who's who's hearing, um, you know, there's there's this trial, and they have a survivor a, viol- a survivor of sexual violence. Um, you know, you might use the word victim, but people typically prefer survivor. And she's on the stand testifying, and and they continually, I mean, in the court and in the dialogue in the courtroom, they're slipping up. And they're, they're referring to her as the accused, first of all. So she's facing that. She's the survivor. And then second of all, the judge asks her, can you imagine in, in, in a courtroom scenario where you're, you're on the stand, first of all, you're, you're, you're digging deep mm-hmm. and talking about a horrific experience, right? So you're being re-traumatized. And then the judge asks, it's not an aggressive defense lawyer, uh, not that that would be okay, but, but the judge asks, well, why didn't you just close your legs? Jeez. You sit there and go, people are going to go, well, she was hammered, right? Or, you know, you hear this all the time. She was drunk. There's actually been developments. I saw this on social media the other day. Don't have the story in front of me, but 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 anecdotally saw the story the other day where th- there's been assertions made, defense lawyers in Canada, there's been some, adv- you know, advancements or regressions is probably the better word to use, where people can say in examples of extreme intoxication, it can be used. As, as an effective defense in cases of sexual assault, extreme intoxication, right? So either the perpetrator, the accused was, was too drunk to understand mm-hmm. what they were doing, or, you know, you have circumstances where people will say, well, she, I mean, you think of the tragic case of Retea Parsons, yeah. right? That's a story that's known to, to almost every Canadian. I think at least Canadians uh, beyond a certain age that are having these adult conversations. And then of course there's the comments about, well, what did you expect, right? W- look what you're wearing. What did you expect? 
You know, you, you, you're, you're wearing this certain top, you're wearing those jeans, or you're, you're wearing a certain style of, of clothing, so, so you wanted the attention, or what did you expect when you were wearing that, right? And it's ridiculous. It, it, it's also insulting, and I don't want to, like, make it about men, and this is two men talking about women right now, but it's insulting to men to think that, like, we can't, like she said, we can't control ourselves, like, just because someone, so that's not a defense at all. That well, and I also think that sometimes something. men need to have these conversations. We I do. More men need definitely, to have these conversations. But, like, like it's it's insulting to think that you know as soon as men see skin like they turn into ravaging animals it's yeah it's ridiculous yeah and what do you teach a, a young man what do you teach a boy when you imply that if you see cleavage like we can't we can't have cleavage visible mm-hmm. uh you know at, at school right if, if school uniform we can't have spaghetti straps so bare shoulders are showing and we can't have cleavage because if because what's the implication if you do see it it's it's open season. It's fair game, right? What sort of yeah. message does that send, right? Yeah. So there were the parallel conversations, and, and there's always, I think, takeaway, and, and we'll sort of like process what we've heard from an interview. And I appreciate Farah saying there's there's talk about dress codes, and then there's talk about school uniforms because they they are in a way, mm-hmm. in a way, kind of two different or maybe parallel conversations. Um, Todd says uniforms don't need to be super strict. Um, they should apply equally to all genders. Uniforms can help take away a lot of the anxiety around what to wear. And can create a much healthier school environment. Although I saw somebody else, my apologies, I don't remember which viewers it was, but but said, uh, you know, regardless of whether or not uniforms, their kids are going to find other ways to demonstrate class differences. Of course they are. Yeah. Shoes, maybe jewelry, watches. The way they wear things. Sunglasses. Some schools do, like the women wear skirts, the men wear pants. It's just, yeah, there's always going to be parallels, so. Huh. Jillian bringing the heat this morning says, isn't that weird that extreme intoxication, quote, I was drunk, doesn't get you out of a driving offense. (laughs) Isn't that fair? Um, This is uh, a conversation, of course, that can continue. And as a matter of fact, we hope that that's the story with all of the interviews that we have on Real Talk, that it gets you thinking, uh, that it gets the ball rolling, maybe on something in your personal life, in your household, maybe in your workplace or or your school uh, where you start talking about these things and, and then follow up with us. Let us know where you land on all of this. The hashtag is Real Talk RJ. The email address, our inbox, talk at ryanjesperson.com. Now, of course, it's the battle of Alberta today. And then as one Real Talker phrased it, the battle for Alberta, depending on your perspective, <laughs> is later today, we expect to see the results. Uh, by the time you hear this on the podcast, maybe they're already out. Uh, Jason Kenney's leadership review, the United Conservative Party's leadership review, thousands of mail-in ballots will be assessed. Coming up on tomorrow's show, you're not going to want to miss a special edition panel discussion. It's a real talk roundtable featuring three voices with a lot of experience when it comes to understanding conservative politics in the province of Alberta. Erica Brudis will join us, the founding president of the UCP. Melissa Cowett, a conservative strategist and Alberta's former deputy premier, progressive conservative minister Thomas Lukasik. Kicking off our show right out of the gates, it's going to be a conversation you will not want to miss. Make it a great Wednesday, friends, and go, favorite team, go! Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, technical producer John Hicks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Lawrence Sterlego, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. 
Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.